Hello East Glenville Community Church, this is Jessica Munn with episode 27 of So, I Have a Question. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about two sermons uh, yeah. from Sunday, May, May 1st and May 8th. Um, we're starting the new series on the prophet Elijah, mm-hmm. and uh, and also just to let you know, we're going to be doing these every two weeks, so for the end of the summer and for the end of the series. So we'll be uh, combining two sermons each time. Yeah. So I have a question, yes. Jessica. Yes. Um, what do you think of my title? Because I, I spent a lot of time mm-hmm. for the series, The Lonely Prophet. Um, does that seem to, to express what I, we're talking about? Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, just into the, even day one or sermon one, right? He, he spends all his time by himself at a brook mm-hmm. with the ravens. So it definitely seems to be a good title. There and you I go. I think it will be even more so as we keep going. <laughs> there, good. <laughs> good. Because we, we threw out some other options and this is the one that we landed on. Mm-hmm. But, um, okay. So, and speaking of kind of your big sermon question or your big question for this entire series Mm -hmm. is how will God respond to his people worshiping foreign gods pretty Mm much. Um, and so like, you know, the basic answer is he sends a prophet. We're learning kind of through watching Elijah's story. And as we continue how God uses this prophet to respond in a way, Mm -hmm. but I'm kind of curious, like, what are some other ways, like if I had no idea of God's character and who God was, like what are some other ways that we could, in theory, expect God to respond? Well, we could look backward and think about he could send a flood. Mm-hmm. You know, he could just say, forget you guys. <laughs> um, we could look at, you know, the plagues. Mm. And see how he dealt with Egypt when they, they would not let his people go. Um, I mean, the things that you, you might think of, mm-hmm. and I guess you could say sending a drought is a little like that, but it's more limited than some of the other plague type things. Right. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? What, yeah, I what think other options. I think one of the big ones I thought of was just the, like, you know, being like, well, forget you. I'm going to go mm-hmm. pick this other people group and yeah. just like hop kind of thing and not stay faithful to a specific group of people that he already promised to. Yeah. Um, and we could also look later or no back earlier. I'm sorry. The period of the judges, sometimes the way God tried to correct his people is let them be conquered. Mm-hmm. So the Philistines having dominance over them. Yep. Yeah. And um, eventually and, he and does force the people to turn back to the Lord to seek his help. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what's interesting is if you look back in those times, you you had leaders, judges are just kind of like people who in a leadership role, who God raises up for a purpose, they, they end up helping the people come back to God, but, but there's no educational component. Right. And so maybe what you're seeing with Elijah is both God acting and God trying to teach mm-hmm. through Elijah through the the sending of the um the drought yeah that he's trying to convey because just helping them you know win back after you know they turned around didn't seem to actually last very long right yeah yeah cuz even like typically especially in judges but also even with uh 
Jeroboam, right? Uh-huh. So God raised him up to def- to cause the split between Israel and Judah. So he's a military leader. Yeah. And then he's the one who we find out introduces sin into Israel. So even though he was the military leader and the king of the country, he didn't seem like a good spiritual leader or teacher. Right. And so having a prophet who could teach that sort of thing. And you, that's a good point. That up until the kings, the the military leader being the king, you know, before they had kings, and the spiritual leader tended to be the same. Moses was both. Mm-hmm. Joshua was both. And what you get with the period of the kings is, is first with David. David is still kind of both in a way, mm-hmm. but he he officially was the military and secular leader. Right. And then you had prophets who, and priests who would have the spiritual realm. Right. And God separates those. Um, and maybe what you're seeing is 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 the kings broaching into that. Mm-hmm. Um, that Jeroboam first and then um, Ahab both get involved from the, the secular ruler side in what, how people worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, huh. there you go. So what was the core sin of Jeroboam? That's a great question. <laughs> so I thought that, you know, the main one would be building the idol. So like building the physical golden calf uh-huh. that gets put in the temple that he builds in so, uh, no, in Samaria, right? No. Um, he actually builds two temples. Oh, okay. One in Dan and one in Bethel. One in the south, one in the north. Right. Um, even though it's, Israel is the north, but Bethel's closer right. to the, the southern part of that. Um, so he, yeah, so he builds temples to worship Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And then, so that's part one. And then part two is making the images. Right. And so what, the question is, is which one did God really object to or are they inherently the same? Yeah, and I don't... It, yeah, because in theory, like, my brain goes back to when they're at Mount Sinai. And it was like, it was the fact that they made the golden calf was the big issue. Yeah. But they didn't have a building yet. Right. And so it's not like now when they have, like, God specifically said, you will build my temple here. This is where I'll be. Like, this is where the Ark of my Covenant is. This is where my Holy, like, the Holy of Holies is. Uh And so, like, can you just easily replicate that and be like, yeah, no, we're still worshiping God. Like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. And so I I think about, like, why, other than the making idols is clearly outside because god says don't make idols right don't make an idol of me yeah um but even having the alternate place of worship if if god had said his presence will be located locatable Mm -hmm. now of course we know god is everywhere but they they couldn't envision that at that point right at the time the norm was that like a god was over a region like yeah it was connected to the land that you lived in type of thing or just the the god Made the the whole sacrificial system oh, yeah. was with the idea that you could come seek God's presence here, right? And by saying, creating these alternate places of worship, then then that's it just messes that whole idea up. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it. Um, yeah. So do you think so? Like, because to be fair to Jeroboam, just a little bit. Yeah. Right. Like 
he really did have a military and political issue on his hands of the, right. like, how, like, they're now a different nation. How do we do this? So what do you think, what if Jeroboam, in, Jeroboam instead of just thinking of an answer and implementing it, like, sought the Lord in prayer and said, like, okay, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great question to think about. Like, if Jeroboam sincerely, you know, having been... I think even spurred on by God to, to what he did, mm-hmm. um, and said, "I really want to, um, God, I, I I really want to make, keep our people faithful to you. How do we solve this problem of, I can't send my people to Jerusalem to worship, because they're now a different country. Mm-hmm. You know, now could God said it's okay to send them? I will make sure they they don't." Right. You know, undermine you or might God have said, given him maybe some, some way other than building a temple, mm-hmm. an alternate place of worship that wasn't a temple. Right. Um, but he doesn't seem to go to God for an answer. Instead, uses yeah. his own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think what Jeroboam did opened the door for what Ahab did. Right. Yeah, that was... That was definitely going to Well, would you say, when would you say, and why would that open the door? Right. Okay. Why, why, why would still worshiping Yahweh and a different temple, why would that have opened the door for what Ahab eventually did? Because it normalizes the idea of worshiping an idol. And okay. Like a God that's in a form in my mm. brain. And so, so you're getting, because worshiping because everybody else used idols or like an asher pole or something like you know a physical object and so Yahweh was completely different and so you then put Yahweh on a level that's closer Mm. to the neighboring countries and then you know it normalized that and then suddenly the jump of like well let's just add one more isn't as drastic it also sets the precedent that you are able to decide how you will worship mm. rather than just coming to God as he has, as, as he is. Yeah. It, it almost puts you in authority. It does put you in authority of what, rather than un- submitting to under God's authority. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. how, how often do we like make the same mistake of the like, okay, this is like, yeah, I'm worshiping God, but I'm redefining God in a form or in a way that, like, is more comfortable for me. Yeah. Wow, that's a, um, you were not supposed to talk about how it applies to us, Jessica. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. Since when? <laughs> no, I, I think it is something to always be careful of, is I think about it a lot as a pastor and you know, church leaders have to think about this is, are we, you know, if we're making a change Mm -hmm. and we're doing it usually for some good reason, are we just doing this, you know, like because it's more convenient for people or, Mm. or in a sense, are we still being faithful to, you know, worship as it is? And, and there could be two sides of that. Some people say, well, you're making this change. We've always worshiped this way. We should never change. Yep. Which that's not biblical either. Right. Um, and then there's others who say, we could do whatever we want. We don't have to live by any old rules. 
well, that's not right either. Mm-hmm. So, so that's where I guess the, the be- benefit we have is we do have the written word and, you know, Old and New Testament where they had just the first five books. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even sure they don't talk a lot about reading those books at certain times in history. Yeah. So were they even consulting? Right. You know, did maybe the priest have the, 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 the covenant law, but the rest of the leaders were like, uh, I hear it every so often and that's it. Right. Yeah. Right. Which I think in theory, Levitical law said that the, if there was a king, he was supposed to be reading it. Yes. But. Good point. Not many seem. Your to first job as king was to read out the entire law out loud. Yeah. To your court. Yeah. So, were they were they keeping that? Right. Which... Yeah. Which that says right there, I am under a greater authority. Right. And what Jeroboam does first, and then Ahab puts it on steroids, <laughs> is saying, "No, I have the authority to do." Yeah. To decide how worship's going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, So what do you think it would have potentially been like to stay, like, to stay faithful in true worship to Yahweh if you were in the northern country, like, in Israel at the time? Like, would it have just been impossible? Or... Well, our next passage, we find out there's other prophets. Mm. So you seek the Lord, um, but you don't go to these, these false temples so you you seek the lord directly you seek a word from god mm-hmm. um maybe it doesn't talk about studying the 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 bible like i said i don't know if that would have been generally available to everyone probably not yeah um but you you maybe have learned what you're supposed to learn and you hold on to those truths um later this will be much later it'll talk about companies of prophets which I think of, it's almost like schools, people who are tr- learning together mm-hmm. how to stay faithful to Yahweh. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I guess the only thing I could picture, do you have any? Well, I was just trying to think of like, if you, if you did try to go and do the festivals like at the temple, like, would you be considered a traitor? Mm. That was what I was trying to think through. Could you go almost kind of low-key, Right. You know? Could you kind of sneak in and sneak out type yeah. of thing? Or would you get stopped at both borders? Right. Would, would the people in Judah um, prohibited you from coming to, to celebrate Passover? Yeah. That's probably, a... I think that probably depends on which two kings were in power and if they were buddies or not. Cause yeah. How seemed... tense were things right then? Right. Yeah. I mean, just to get realistic, like Ukraine and Russia mm. were co-religionists, mm-hmm. right? They, their churches were very much intermingled, you know, at times past. Yeah. And now, of course, um, things are different. Yeah. So where there definitely were times when, when Israel and Judah's war got hot. Yes. There were other times where it was probably a, more of a cold war. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, so um, so I'm thinking through Ahab's introduction of the worship of Baal. Okay. And so, like, 
I, I had this thought. You might yell at me because I'm going slightly into application, maybe. But, uh, <laughs> like, so his whole thing was he was kind of at normalized, or he was going with the norm of the surrounding area. Yes. Um, Following the ways of the nations. Yes, exactly. And, like, you know, and times were good. Like, the military was good. The country was prospering financially and stuff like that. Um, and so, like, I wondered how many, how often, like, or if Ahab ever thought to, like, stop and critically examine, like, if the normal was good. Or, like, even the kings after him that just took up what he introduced. Like, did anybody ever stop and say, like, is this normal actually helping us? Like, is it actually good? And if we do that, sometimes just accept the normal as is in the church. Mm. Well, I mean, there's, it's it's obvious Ahab seemed to give no thought to it. Right. And in fact, I, I think it, it you get more of a sense as it goes on that Ahab may not have cared too much about this stuff. That Jezebel was the driving force. True. But Ahab just was going along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some sense of that. and But the whole idea of thinking critically... The the what I you get from Ahab that no I would say he did not at all yeah and my guess is that's in some ways the this whole we, we talked about at um, Adrian's Sunday school how every single king of the northern kingdom of Israel all of them did evil because all of them followed in the ways of Jeroboam at least right none of them gave thought to do we need to rethink this mm-hmm. and so what about us in the church. Um, I mean, there's obviously been times in Christian history where we didn't rethink stuff very well. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was a guy who said, hey, we need to make sure what we're doing is in line with what God wants us to do. Maybe we should read the Bible in our own language mm-hmm. and, and follow that, not just what we've always done. Yeah. We call that the, the Reformation, Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. Um, and ever since then, I mean, I think that's the, the glory of the Reformation is, is at least the idea is that we're always thinking and re is, is what we're doing in line with God's word. And yet we still can easily get it wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the Southern Christians in the 1800s, some of them used the Bible to justify yeah. not just slavery, but savage, right. savageness towards their slaves. Um, and I think even Martin Luther, he he went off the rails about the Jewish people at one point in time. Yeah. Um, but I think, right, it, it's hard to completely figure out where your culture is wrong mm-hmm. on every issue. Yeah. And so, I don't know, where does that, does that help at all? Does that? No, I think, I think that's a, I like where you landed. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. I think that, like, it, it is hard to tell. Mm-hmm. And a lot of why it's, or because it's hard to tell, a lot of times you get people who will say different things. So right. you'll have some who will be like, ah, this, like, this needs to be completely gone. And others who are like, no, like, we, that's like, that's okay. Like, we can, you know, it, with some guardrails, we could incorporate those sorts of things. Right. And, and then there's, te- so there's tension even in, in re-looking back between the idealists. Yeah who measure um, these p- potential changes with, with some ideal that humanity's never reached. Right. Versus 
you could say the realists or maybe even the conservatives who would say we're still doing better than we've done in the past and there's there's reasons to be cautious about too much rethinking in one generation yeah um yeah I cautious mean, a good cautious of the like never patting ourselves on the back and saying we made it but also realizing that like we we are meeting god the best we can with where we're at yes and uh, not to try to hold ourselves to the the standard of perfection that is we'll never reach because we're sinners and yeah. so it's we're always learning always growing so i mean i've mentioned luther i might as well so Luther actually had a lot of wisdom in that he, of course, he did challenge a lot that was in the church, but other things he held on to. But then there's what was called the more radical reformation mm-hmm. um, where there were riots and, and there was a city, Munster, was taken over by the truly radicals okay. who introduced a lot of stuff, plural marriage. It became effectively a cult. Okay. So... So when you open up things, when you toss out completely right. all the old ways, what do you get? You you get that. You get James, uh, Jonestown, you know, with Jim Jones and mm-hmm. the People's Temple. Yeah. That kind of. So and it makes, we're getting far afield. We are. <laughs> but it makes sense because that's why, like, I, you know, one of the best arguments for, like, you know, okay, well, why does the Bible, like, why didn't Jesus just flat out say, like, get rid of slavery? It's because it would have been too radical. And it would have just, like, because the entire world at the time was built on slavery. And it was very different slavery than what we think of with the South. It was much more humane. Well, depending on the owner, it was more humane. But, like, you know, he can, he laid the foundation and the the legwork of moving in that direction. Right. Without just flat out. Because it has to come from the, the human heart. That too, yes. Yeah. Versus, I mean, there was a guy called Spartacus who called for freedom of slaves. He led a slave rebellion in Rome mm-hmm. and hundreds of thousands of pe- people died. Yeah. And mostly by crucifixion. Mm. So. Fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so good question. I, I, this is fun. This is, you're, you're thinking, we're thinking kind of like deeper level stuff and that's fun to do. In yeah. My mind. Okay. So, so I wanted to go... Little bit, so do we know anything else about Elijah? Because he's kind of just thrown in, like, we kind of start, and it's just like, oh, yeah, this guy Elijah just announced that they're of be Tishbe, of Tishbe, yeah. And my little map shows Tishbe and the east of the Jordan, mm-hmm. so he's not near the, the, the things of power. That no, I don't think there's anything previous to that, mm-hmm. um, that we can look at, um. You get to know him better as you go through his story. Right. But biographical details don't come up. You get to know his personality. Right. Yeah, because so. it's, it's not like the other prophets where it's like a lot of them have the like the first time that God speaks to them or like when they become quote unquote a prophet. Whereas Elijah, we're just introduced as the like, no, he was one. Yes. Right. We do not have the call of, of, I, yeah. of Elijah the prophet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um. Okay, so then we move on. So Elijah calls down the famine. Uh-huh. So you, I like how you specifically mentioned that the famine wasn't technically really necessarily punishment. It was more of really a wake-up call. Um, so my question is, would God have been justified 
if he used it more as a punishment versus just an attention grabber. I mean, the the correct theological answer is yes, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, God is justified in all he does, and we don't we don't deserve rain for our crops. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we have a you know Jesus is the Father is good and sends rain and sun upon the righteous and the unrighteous. Mm-hmm. So God has set a pattern of, of goodness. Um, so he would have been justified in um, doing that because he's God. But um, I think it makes more sense to me when you see it as a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. Like, why should I send rain when you're calling out to bail for rain and not me? Mm-hmm. So, if he would have given them rain, they it would have some some other god would have got credit. Right. So he had to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems. It's a because it's a it's a like God isn't necessarily punishing them just because he can or because he delights in it. Right. He's he's really trying to be strategic, and mm-hmm. say like, how can I teach them? Um, Yes. And, you know, have them deal with their own, the consequences technically of their own mistakes of praying to the wrong God. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and this is kind of a related, the, like, you know, if it was punishment, it would make a lot more sense that it would, it would seem even odder that God, you know, has this drought affect both the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, and so, but instead it happens to both of them yeah yeah just as god does good to the righteous and the unrighteous Mm -hmm. when when it's the other side um the consequences fall upon both um yeah do you have a reason as to potentially why god did it that way this time at least because like in uh in the exodus story like all of the plagues only hit the egyptians and so, like, in theory, God easily could have, like, you know, there one land, one spot of rain falls. Yeah. Um, and I'd have to go back. I was thinking some of them, in a sense, fall on in general, but God gives special dispensation to, like, it would by nature fall on the Israelites, but God has to act to protect them from it. Yeah, that's certainly the last one. Right. God has to act and give them a way to be protected from the death of the firstborn. Right. Um, other ones that I know it does say, I will make it so that it doesn't fall on your land. Um, but you're right. For the most part, those are experienced by the Egyptians. But the situation is different there because the, the Israelites are not worshiping the Egyptian gods. Mm. So it wouldn't make sense for them to then I guess you could say there are probably some staying faithful to Yahweh. Right. Um, but they're also separated in land. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there, again, it was educational. God was showing that he was the one. And by making a distinction, that's actually part of the demonstration. Mm-hmm. Where if it wasn't separated, they wouldn't know God was involved. Yeah. So God had to protect his people to distinguish his people are under his protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And yeah. like, and because I could see too, especially if like, you know, if it, if God did split it, so like, you know, only, you know, the Joe Schmo down the street is the only guy 
properly worshiping Yahweh and his house get drained. I might have an incorrect motive of worshiping the way he does. Okay. Just so that I get rain. Yeah. Kind of like the people who follow Jesus just for bread, not actually for his teaching. Yeah. Um, and so I could see, you know, God trying to prevent that. Or even though, like, you know, sometimes the best way that you can show how a Christian, like, show the best way we can show as Christians that we're different than everyone else is by going through the same experience as them, but living it differently. With a different heart and attitude involved. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think, I mean, there. I think for, in general, Christians will face the same hardships as everyone else in life. Mm-hmm. But, overall, I think Christians, if they're living godly lives, will actually face a lot less hardship overall because mm-hmm. he leads us into wiser choices. Yeah. You know, how much of the consequences are due to directly bad choices. So... Mm-hmm. Um, which is sometimes a reason why people say, well, you should go to church because it's good for you. And there's truth in it. I don't know how, how long that, how well that motivation right. works anyways in people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then to keep us moving along. So Elijah and the widow. Um, so I, I had a thought as I was rethinking over her story because you you were talking about how like how much crazy faith she had mm-hmm. um and t- in my brain i was like sometimes it seems like it's easier to take giant to find the courage to take giant like jumps of faith giant risks when i have less to lose mm-hmm. and so like for this woman like she it was it's almost like you know she if she made the bread for elijah and then, like, it didn't, the supply didn't grow. Like, it didn't continue. She didn't have bread for her and her son. And, like, she's like, oh, I'm a fool. I lose, I die one day earlier type of thing. Like, it doesn't yeah. actually, versus the, like, okay, if I do this and it works, like, I will actually live. Um, versus, like, the rich young man who could not mm-hmm. handle giving up everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, des- desperateness can lead people one of two ways. It can lead people to be clingy and, and worse right. in their spirit. Or it seems to hear it led her to, I have nothing left, but so I'm going to trust in, in this God who I've barely heard about. Mm-hmm. So it does seem to, that's a good point. Like she didn't have as, in some ways it wasn't that big of a risk. I, I th- still think it was. It was. Uh, Emotionally it would have been because of her yes. son. Yes, because, yeah, emotionally it would have been huge. Yeah. Because, like, I would, yeah, to be like, oh, I was a fool, and I just gave our bread away type right. of thing, and now we're, like, now I have nothing. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. And then, so, like, since the normal in this, in her area, in her region, would have been to worship several gods of neighboring countries, right? So does, like... Do you think that part of her openness and understanding of Yahweh from the beginning, or at least knowing his name, could have been because, like, she had already kind of added him to her group? I didn't think about that, that that, that Yahweh may have been incorporated into the Phoenicians. Especially because at that point, at least if you were 
Since all, we're adding Baal to our pantheon, why don't you add Yahweh to yours? Yeah. And maybe there was some effort at that. Um, and maybe that opened the door for her to call out to him. I don't know. There, there seems to be no sense of that in the text. True. And n- n- no other place in the Bible would give you the hint that that would be the case. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of speculation, but it could be. I think... Just even more hearing stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, the um, it had been a long time, but Israel coming into the land and, you know, the Canaanites and them had been knowing each other for a long time. So right. they would have... A lot of history just between those two nations. Right. And, and maybe in the time of Solomon, you know, they might have gone even all the way to Jerusalem to, you know, offer tribute. Because mm-hmm. um, Solomon in his time dominated yep. this area. Right. So there'd have been some familiarity in that sense. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That makes sense. Um, and then something else I noticed, too, is that, so when when the widow, when her son is um, sick, like, the widow's response is to immediately say that, like, Yahweh's mad at her. Like, she doesn't, she doesn't even think of the fact that it seems like she doesn't think of the fact that, like, Baal could be mad at her. Right. Um, well, at this point, she knows God is real. Mm, the okay. Lord is real. Maybe she doesn't even consider Baal to be, to be, you know, a thing. Like, if he's there, he's far distant and not concerned about me. But I know this God is in my life. Mm-hmm. So if this happened, he must have done it. Yeah. But that's a, that's a great question is, wouldn't she have, you'd think that, that could have been a thought mm-hmm. of, but she immediately goes at Elijah and, you know, why did, why does your God hate me now? Right. What did I do wrong? And I think, isn't that the response for a lot of people just to tragedy is, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. God must hate me. And, you know, the, I kind of joke about, you know, well, Elijah immediately set her, set her straight and taught her the, you know, (laughs) no, because that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, he just had to, he just had to respond. Let me pray. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why, like, I like having, I liked having the framework of even just the whole fact that like this whole famine in a way, like was more of a wake up call and not even a punishment Mm. because I, I, a lot of times like, you know, I still today you'll hear people being like, well, like, how do I know if God is punishing me? And it's like, Mm. well, what if we looked at it differently? Like, what if we said like, okay, what is God using this season to challenge you of? Like, do you need a wake up call? Is he trying to get you to trust him more? And those sorts of like, if we turn the question around, it's not just a like, what did, where did I mess up? How do I fix it? Like, God is mad at me. And it's more of a like, okay, God, teach me. Like, I'm open. Right. And, like, I know you're a good father, and so I know that you will want to take care of me and want the best for me, and so show me what that looks yeah. like. Yeah. And that if God fixed everything in the world now, <laughs> mm-hmm. then who would call out to him? Yeah. But God allows the brokenness of this world to continue being unfixed. So it's not that God brings on these eat bad things into our life, it's just... He allows the the brokenness of the world to continue. Yeah. And he says, I will fix it one day. Mm-hmm. But that day is not yet. Yeah. 
And so in the meantime, I want you to turn to me when things go wrong, not turn against me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And moreover, he wants to respond through his people. Right. Which is why he put Elijah right there. He was on the spot. He was God's man <laughs> yeah. right there. And so Elijah knew enough. I can pray. God can do it. This is not beyond him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, like, because even thinking of the, like, is it a, looking at it in a different light from the, the punishment, like, you know, sometimes not even just the unrighteous need a wake-up call, but I think a lot of times, like, seekers or young Christians kind of might need a shock to the system, which Mm. this woman, I feel like, would fall into. Because how do you... If you don't get a shock like that, how do you see the spots where you haven't yet, like, either fully given God control of your life? Yeah. Or, you know, the things you still need to learn, or, like, where... I know for me, like, the, the ways in which I'm still learning how I'm misunderstanding who God is and his character... Um, and it's like a lot of times the shock to the system is a very good way of, a very effective way of doing those things. Hmm. Have you seen that with young people? Like something happens, their life falls apart and they actually do seek out God. I think maybe not the life falling apart, but if it's, if it's something that even if it's just like a question they hadn't thought through yet, that challenges a, you know, kind of like the their understanding of how the world works and who they are okay and then suddenly like i have to like okay well wait like you just like i thought this is who i was and you just completely like like this is no longer can define me so who am i Mm. um who do you say i am like oh i didn't realize that i was still letting myself define myself like god now you can define me something like that I find people tend to be pretty good at rationalizing things, and so I don't know. <laughs> I, I I think you, I believe you're right, but I just I'm trying to think of examples, and I'm having Fair. having trouble. Okay. But I don't know. I guess when I think of testimonies I've heard, in more in general, like it's this was going on in my life, and I knew I needed to make a change, mm-hmm. or I knew I needed they they were spiritually open for some practical reason. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that is right. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. not always, but... Not always. Yeah. And so, um, so okay, can we talk about Elijah's healing of the boy? Yeah. Quickly. So, like, you had mentioned in your sermon that there's a good chance that Elijah didn't even know if his prayers would work. Like, we... Yeah. And so, like, you know, has anybody done that before? I don't know. So, why, like... In my brain, what I would have done is I would have probably done it once. Like, I would have just prayed once, like, stretched myself out over the boy once and said, like, okay, God, like, I asked. Right. But Elijah does it three times. And I'm wondering why. I'm trying to think of precedent. Like, seriously, you, you put a new thought in my head is Elijah, ne- I, don't, I don't think I had any precedent of God bringing back the dead. I don't think so. Um, in the period of Judges. Mm-mm. Um, even with Moses. Um, so, you know, maybe as far as we knew, this was the first time that God resuscitated. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not a resurrection. A resurrection is a completely different thing where yes. you're raised to life and you never die again. Right. Um, 
it is still being raised. Um, but yeah, I what led three? I I don't think he would have. Would he have done it a fourth? Um, I mean, there is kind of the magic three-time number, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know eventually when Elijah does pray for rain, it takes seven, like, times. Which no, is not there yet. does it? I believe so. I believe he has. Well, I'm thinking of call down fire on the, the sacrifice. Yeah, no, that takes, that's once. Okay. It's the, it's Oh, he sends that. a servant to go look. To go look okay. seven times, which means yeah. he stops praying seven times. Okay. And so I'm like, like, was God just like, like, no, keep asking until I do it. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, it, it's only, it kind of sounds like the story of the persistent widow, right? Right. Like, you should keep asking and be persistent. But I have seen that. I mean, actually there was a not too long ago story, a worship leader whose child had died. Mm-hmm. And for days afterwards, they kept praying for resurrection. Yeah. And that's... And you familiar with that story no, as well? No, but I... Yeah. So was in, this was in the last year or so. And and it's like at some point you had to accept that he wasn't going to answer. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to determine when you keep going and when to... Right. But three sounds like a good minimum. <laughs> it does. Yeah. And there's other things I've been in life I've been praying for for years. Mm-hmm. So... And, you know, some answers are immediate. Now, of course, raising someone back to, to life has to be immediate or it's, you know. Yeah, it doesn't work seven months later. Right. At least we don't think. Okay. So, so last question, because we're, we're going a little long today. Um, so you had mentioned how the, you know, when Elijah raises the son from the yeah, when Elijah resurrect no, when Elijah resuscitates yeah. the son, um, the woman says, like, now I believe everything, like, that you have said. Yeah. And so I'm, like, thinking, like, is she just believing, like, the, like, the bare minimum of, like, you know, Elijah was a prophet from Yahweh and that, like, you know, obviously she believes that the bread is still working. Mm. Or, like, maybe had Elijah been teaching her and her son more about Yahweh. Like, as in his dealings with them and, like, while sharing the bread and stuff together. Like, was he teaching them who God was? I think absolutely. He was probably mm-hmm. instructing them about the God of Israel. And she's probably like, well, this this makes sense and this bread is real, but I'm not committing, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And now she's like, he is the only God. Yeah. So... I've never seen any any of the Phoenician gods do anything like this. <laughs> this must be real. Yeah. Hmm. That's a good question. You know, what does it what it take to convince us? No, this really is it. Mm-hmm. We really can't trust him. And is it the slow step by step things, the daily bread, or is it the the incredible intervention that you're not expecting? Yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I'd have to think about that for myself. I think for me it would be both. Yeah. Like the, the, cause it's the, like the big things. Hmm. Hold on. How do I put this into words? Yeah. Cause it's the, it's the big things that make me stop and look and say like, there's no other way. Like yeah. you're the only one who could have done this, but it's the daily things that remind me like he is faithful and yeah. 
like it almost really preps you for the big things right yeah yeah without the without them you'll miss the big thing yep well, cool. Well, we will have more opportunities to talk about Elijah. Yes. <laughs> and we're hitting our, our time limit. But um, thanks for doing the interview. Thanks for some great questions today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for enlightening me. <laughs> All right. And next Sunday, this mm-hmm. Sunday, we learn about another guy called Obadiah. Ooh. Yep. Fun. That adds to the story. Great. All right. Thank you.